This is Transistor.fm. People, Justin Jackson here. Time for another episode of the show. Hope you're doing well wherever you're at. Maybe you're listening to this while you're doing the dishes. That's where I listen to a lot of podcasts, doing dishes, sweeping the floor, uh, shoveling snow here in Canada. We just got a bunch of snow last night, and uh, I need to go home right now and shovel the walks. Uh, who did I talk to this week? Des Trainer from Intercom. I've been wanting to talk to Des forever, was finally able to get him on the line, and we had a great chat, especially about jobs to be done. If you're a jobs to be done fan, we got into questions like, why do customers hire a product in the first place? And Des just tells it like it is. He's a great guest. You're really going to like this episode. Uh, what else is new? Productpeople.club. I invited some new members in this past week. So if you're on the waiting list, uh, you should see an email coming to you soon uh, asking if you want to apply. And if you're not on the waiting list, go to productpeople.club and get on there. Also, you may have heard I'm planning to do a new show in 2015 called Build and Launch. Check that out at buildandlaunch.net. All right, let's get into the interview with Des Trainer. And I'm with Des Trainer from Intercom. How's it going, Des? It's going great, thanks, Justin. Yourself? I'm doing well. Now uh, we we were joking before that it looks like we're both broadcasting from prison. Uh, mm-hmm. I might be in prison, but where are you in San Francisco right now? Where are you right now? Yep, I am in San Francisco, where they are struggling to deal with the first rainfall of the year. I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm based kind of half in Dublin and half in San Francisco, and right now you've got me. In San Francisco, which is what makes time zones work for events such as this. Yeah, that's perfect. And has it always been that way? Have you always has Intercom always been in both places? Yeah, so we're headquartered in San Francisco, and we're like a Delaware incorporated company. So we've been here uh, since the start. Okay, and uh, just for people who don't know, uh, how do you describe Intercom? What is Intercom? So Intercom is the best way to see what your users are doing in your product, and then to talk to them based on what they are, are or aren't doing. So what we kind of regard Intercom as a communications platform for web businesses and internet businesses of all sorts to talk to their customers. Gotcha. And um, you, uh, you recently quoted Jeff Bezos, and uh, Jeff has this saying where he says, focus on the things that don't change. Uh, in your opinion, how does Intercom kind of match up with that? What's, what's the thing you're focusing on that hasn't changed? That's a good question. I, I, I guess for as long as there has been businesses and customers, uh, businesses have needed to talk to customers. 
Uh, that much will never ever change. Uh, much is the promise of the web era of like you know zero touch sales uh, is to some degree lived out. It's certainly true that great businesses know and talk to their customers. Uh, and if you think of like you know modern day definitions of loyalty and churn and retention and all these issues, they all kind of have their uh, their roots in the fact that like we did two significant shifts in how business is done in the past decade and a half. We moved from like people who know their customers to people who call their customers a hit or uh, a, a page view. Um, and we also moved to business models such as software as a service where where your entire like commercial engine depends on recurring revenue, which means that like for businesses such as say are as an intercom or say any typical SaaS uh, company, you're actually relying, your entire business relies on the fact that your entire user base isn't going to cancel that once, right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of scary in comparison with a lot of businesses where like, you know, uh, you know, you might have a lot of upfront revenue for selling cars, you know, January is a busy month uh, and the revenue you pull in could last you many, many times. Like most SaaS businesses are based upon an assumption that everyone's not going to quit that much because if they do, the entire business is broken. Yeah. Uh, so we've done two things interesting uh, in the last decade and a half as uh, like with the advent of the internet and like online businesses. We've moved to like zero or very low touch uh, sort of customer relationships. And we've also depended more upon customer loyalty than we ever have in any point in history ever. The two of them added together is not really a great thing uh, because we're not treating our customers particularly well. In fact, we, we, measured, we measured our contacts in things like, you know, the cost of goods and services required to serve a customer. Uh, and we see it all as a cost center, whereas in reality, it's what we actually depend on for them to stay loyal to keep using it. So uh, what we depend on that hasn't changed is the value of customer loyalty built upon a good relationship between a business and a customer. That hasn't changed. Its importance hasn't changed. And the success of proof that the the uh, the need is still there. Yeah. And in early SaaS days, there was definitely this idea that you would have very low touch sales. And in fact, the dream for a lot of people was that they would never have to talk to the customer. Uh, yeah. But, and so do you think, uh, do you think maybe in the beginning that was true or has it always been true that you have to, you have to have a lot of connection with your customers? I think there's a couple of things that play like, I think not talking to your customers was always a pretty pathological thing to do because you would have like, it doesn't like I don't, I don't believe that you could like you know create a successful business having never spoken to a customer uh, or having never understood and even if you are doing the whole self-design scratch your own itch you know you know exactly what you're doing who gives a shit what the customers say rah, rah, rah. like you know customer feedback is still the oxygen from which product decisions are built because otherwise how do you know how do you even know if you're right you know um, so I think uh, it was always a kind of a myth that, uh, that you could get away with it. But I, I also think that um, in the earlier days, there wasn't as much opportunity. Like if you wanted to use a CRM, there was probably like two of them online, you know? Yeah. And if you wanted to track time online, there was probably like three choices. So, uh, so customers like were making a choice between like desktop software and the web, or they're making a choice between upfront expense and SaaS. And they were willing to trade a lot in terms of how they're treated or handled by a business because they weren't spoiled with choice. Today, the opposite is true. There are literally thousands and thousands of SaaS businesses, uh, many, many tens of thousands, I would guess, 
And uh, there are also like, you know, no matter how, even if you are a time tracking tool for left-handed dentists in Oslo, I guarantee you someone's looking at your money and going, shit, they're doing well. We should build a, a time tracking tool for left-handed dentists in Oslo too. So like, it's definitely a thing that uh, the competition has, you know, has upped. And the other thing that's sort of changed in my opinion is like, like I really believe that like customer service and customer relationships are, is kind of like the new competitive edge. Everyone is getting to, like everyone has, you know, SaaS businesses. Everyone's using the same frameworks. We're all using the same fucking jQuery effects to fade and shadow. And we're all, we're all reading the same dribble sites and copying the same, whatever font is new. Oh, you use Roboto, we use Open Sans. And we're all copying the same gradients and shadows and drop downs and all that sort of shit. Uh, and like, so I think the competitive edge of design, like, and this is a good thing. I'm not being cynical here. Like, uh, it's become the case that most software that's being produced today is reasonably, uh, is like, well, it's infinitely better than it was five to 10 years ago. And the, our customers' ability to consume and value that design hasn't really changed. So we're getting to the point where possibly design is getting, it's getting to a good enough point uh, where like there's always going to be room for innovation. And you'll see tools like I think Wired, like uh, ChatUp that like launched yesterday. Like it's like they obviously went deep on design, um, and like there'll always be room for innovation there. But I think when you know when you move beyond the sort of echelons of like. Uh, extremely deep wealth considers design to like to like a dude needs to track time for his you know for his freelancing business uh, I think you know what we're actually comparing at that point is like one text input versus another and one button versus another and actually I don't think the competitive edge is going to be on who's got the better bevel I actually think it'll move, move to things like who has better relationship with their, with their customers who understands the customers better who's making sure that their customers themselves are getting as much value out of the product as possible yeah, yeah. And we're going to get into um, jobs to be done in a while. And if you haven't heard of jobs to be done, a, a gross simplification is asking the question, what things are your customers hiring your product to do? And sometimes those are subversive. You don't understand them or see them right away. But I, I heard a, uh, early on, I heard a great talk by Addy Pinar where he said, what a lot of folks in SaaS don't realize is that people are actually hiring you for the support. So early on, like if you want project management software, you could have you could uh, buy Microsoft Project, but getting customer support from Microsoft was a pain in the ass. And I think a lot of people don't realize what maybe what made uh, Basecamp great, for example, was that you could email them because you expected it, right? You were paying monthly. You could email them, and you could get an email back within a, at least an hour. That was a huge thing. Um, so. There does seem to be a job to be done, especially with customer support. I think, with especially with SaaS businesses. Yeah, I mean, it's like your point is solid, and like Adi's point is solid as well. I think, like, if you you know, if you ask what what is Basecamp, for example, and like it's really tempting to pick on Basecamp because like, I guess it's the most well known example here. Yeah, but, but like, we can pick on it now. It's the yeah, gorilla in yeah. the room. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, like there's a lot of like, there's a lot of cleverness to Basecamp. But one thing is for sure, they're not the only guys who have a private forum that you can post on, and other people can post on too, right? Yeah. Uh, that that's a given thing. You'll find that anywhere. But you, you know, and similarly, like, they're not the only people you can upload files to or check off tasks to be complete on. Um, and like, if you're incredibly like logically minded, you will then do things like create a rival base camp and scratch your head wondering why aren't people flocking to mine. 
But there's a whole like you know there's a whole jigsaw of pieces that make Basecamp, and support is one significant piece that people often overlook. Uh, it's also like you know. I think being able to reply to people within an hour or within 15 minutes, or I think they recently boasted within one minute, uh, mm -hmm. like is is like it's definitely part of the package, you know. Yeah. And it, you know, there's like there's no doubt like like if AD says people hire you for support, that's definitely true. They also hire you for education and guidance, and you know, hold my hand, teach me how to run a project. What's a good kickoff message to write? And Basecamp does all those things, and I think like these are the areas like Cathy Sierra made this point a while ago like that. You know, if you want to have the actual best project management tool out there, that's a pretty big fucking ask. You know, there's a lot of them out there. There is a lot. You're talking Trello, Asana, Basecamp, and like 500 other ones, and like whatever's in this year's YC class. And like, I guarantee you, there's some pretty hot shit coming out. Yeah. But if you want to ask, how do I make people really, really great at managing projects? Well, actually, the answers are come to you a lot quicker, and it turns out you don't need to be literally hiring Apple-esque designers to spend you know decades working on push buttons and stuff to uh, to get there it does actually the gap or like the room for improvement there is way more significant so i think it is true that people hire your product not just for what what like you know what they experience url by url as they click around but also for the entire picture it's like it's things like it's the blog it's the help it's the docs it's the live chat it's the fact that the ceo replies on twitter all those things you know yeah i've actually been thinking about i think people have different core motivators in terms of why they hire a product and this is still pretty raw in my head, but one thing I've been realizing lately is that, um, so for example, for myself, I think relationships are a pretty big motivator. Mm -hmm. And when I kind of look back over a lot of my product purchases, uh, or even the brands that I get really passionate about, a lot of it has to do with me having a relationship with somebody there, the, the founder or the CEO, or maybe even just feeling like I have a relationship with them, you know, listening, like reading their blog posts and things like that. And it's interesting, you know, I, like I would, I would hire a, product, a project where I know the CEO over, you know, maybe something that is perfectly designed. Um, do you think that kind of plays into it too sometimes? There's different kind of motivations the, behind how different people buy? Yeah, so there definitely is. I think like, um, like there's, there's like emotional motivators, there's like functional motivators, uh, there's like, you know, personal motivators, there's all these different things that influence it. Like when you say you buy something because of, of who's involved in it, it's actually what you're what you're doing there is, is applying like you know a, a simple principle. And that principle in my head is like that quality is fractal, right? Yeah. So like so like I'll give you an example of quality is fractal. I can see some soft mats behind you that are there to absorb sound so that the recording of this podcast is good. Right? Yeah. The fact that I can see those mats I can infer a lot more things about the type of podcast you run just from seeing a mat, right? Yeah. Because you guys care about putting mats in the room, you care about the site, you care about the introduction, you care about the advertisers and the sort of uh, how you shut them out in the middle of the podcast, and you care about the listeners and you'll never sell the mailing list and all because you actually give a shit, right? And I really believe that, like, and like, Nathan Barrows made this point ages ago in a blog post that's long since disappeared, but like he said, that quality is fractal. You can literally judge. And, like, and by fractal, I mean it displays the quality of self-similarity. Any single piece of it is like all of it. Uh, so if you're making a decision that you want to uh, use a product because you know the CEO to be good, it's just basically if you know the CEO is not a dickhead and he's not going to stand for bullshit and he's not going to like you know do anything sly or mischievous, he's not going to sell your data, he's not going to whatever do anything that you don't want him to do. Uh, 
you also know sign in the room when he's not going to be happy. He's not going to hire bad people. He's not, you know, who are likely to put bugs in the product. Like you're, you're making a massive judgment, but like it's, it's a massively intuitive judgment based on a very good principle that quality is fractal. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people say, you know, blogging, especially as a marketing tactic is kind of hazy. Do you, how do you, how do you guys kind of evaluate the, the success of the blog? Can you see it in your funnel in terms of, you know, directly attributable to some signups and things like that? We can, but that's not the only way we measure. But yes, to answer your question, yes, we absolutely can. Uh, it definitely contributes. Um, but we also know that, like, you know, there's a few things I'd say. One is, like, uh, people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. Mm -hmm. So a lot of marketing, especially for a tool like Intercom, or like I'd say a lot of SaaS tools, honestly, if, if they're honest with themselves, uh, you're you're not so mission critical such that people will drop everything and pick up your tool and mail their whole team and say, hey guys, change of plan. We're now going to use this new project manager tool, bug tracker, time tracker, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so like what, you know, and like that's just a given. Like as in like when I finish up this podcast right now, I'm going to go back to my desktop and there'll probably be some adverts somewhere, but I'm just not in a buying position right now. I have shit to do. You know, so like uh, whereas if I read a great article and it, something sticks in my head, I think, geez, those guys at like mention.net are really smart. Where those guys at Workable are, you know, they seem like they seem like they know how to recruit. Mm -hmm. And when, next time I have a problem, which is when I'm ready to buy, that the, they will have top of mind with me. So, uh, so like that's like that's a hard uh, sort of argument to uh, to quantify, right? Like it's hard yeah. to say, like you know, what percentage of mindshare did we adopt, or like how you know, for what percentage of these consumers did they originally hear us through a blog? Doesn't really matter. Like this, the, you know, there's a lot of things you'll you have to do in running a business uh, or in like you know, running a blog or any of those things. Are you know the right thing to do, and you can go and chase numbers to try and back it up. But if you fundamentally know it's the right thing to do, you know, you shouldn't let a lack of numbers, like absence of evidence is not as evidence of absence. Just because you can't, you don't have the numbers to hand, it doesn't mean it's therefore not the next best important thing to do. Like if you're that metric oriented, fair enough, but like, you know, you're probably not writing a good blog in the first place in that case. Yeah, yeah, I, I, did, a, I did a post, because now I'm working for Sprintly, and I, I was thinking, yeah. man, how did I even sign up for Sprintly? And in my head, I thought, well, I, I probably like thought about it and then signed up that day, but then, I can look at the data that Sprintly has on me, and the first time they saw me was, you know, I visited their website probably six months before that, and that kind of unlocked all these things that had happened, you know, like before that I'd seen yeah. Joe Stump in an interview, and then, you know, then some things happened, I learned about Kanban, and then, you know, like all these kind of, I call them touch points, you know, there's probably seven touch points before I finally signed up for an account, and then there was another... 30 to 60 days or something between when I signed up for account and I started paying. So it, it really is a process, isn't it? It's not, it's people think, what did you say? Pe right. people, people buy when they're ready. Yeah, people buy when they're ready to buy. And I think like that's where like uh, a lot of people who do like, you know, fucking like day one automated marketing where they're like, hey, I noticed you signed up, you need, to, you need to go do this. It's, you know, to some degree like, uh, you know, they're missing out on critical data. And I specifically cite day one there because like, you know, it, it's the classic naive mindset is like, is, you know, Justin signed up for Sprintly and on day one he had not as his whole team yet. So 
let's come to that. And it's like, well, not only had he not done that, he hadn't created a project or, or, or like created any tasks or anything. He's clearly just pricking around. So let's let, let's not go heavy on the marketing stuff. Just yeah, yeah. Um, and like another example, another example of of you of, of like that is like a. And I, you know, you work at Spinless, you probably have better uh, data on this. But I would bet that a lot of people sign up, look around, do nothing, and then 45 days later come back with seven developers and a GitHub schedule and all this other shit. Like, you know, yeah. Because like they're looking around, like, uh huh, yeah, this is good. All right, we'll do this for the next project or whatever. Because like, you know, like no tool is that important that it's like drop everything. We need to totally change how we're managing this project and move it all over. You know, yeah. it's usually like you know the the process of gradual adoption is is like a is when you have to sort of study and learn. And just for what it's worth, like there's a mirroring principle to that when it comes to churn, which is if you're gonna lose a customer, what you don't see is like busy, 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 gone. Yeah. That's just not not that the case. What it is like is like, you know, creating one project a month, two projects a month, three projects a month, three, two, hasn't created a project in ninety-five days, hasn't created a project in hundred and twenty and like what you're not seeing here is all the event data in someone else's fucking app where they're going in the process of moving the whole thing over. But yeah. what you will see is like that then like four months down the line, they're like, you know what, we should, we, we're done with using Sprintly, we should cancel that account now or whatever, you know, uh, product. Of course, yeah. they cancel that account now and then you hit them with the whole, oh, we're so sorry to see you go. Yeah. Whereas like, honestly, if this was like a coffee shop or a bar, whatever you'd be like you hey i haven't seen you here in like two weeks what's going on like oh well you know there's this other place down the road that's a bit closer to work and you're like oh fuck i'm in the process of losing this guy i can still do something about this yeah you know uh so like uh i think like you know the two points i'm making here is that like you shouldn't expect immediate adoption for a product because they'll buy when they're ready to buy and certainly and like similarly don't expect that quitting looks as obvious as one day Zero activity and cancellation happen at the same time. What actually happens is activity degrades over a period of time, and then many months later, when somebody in Sprintly goes to check their credit card, they're like, "Oh shit, we're still paying for that thing. We need to cancel it." Yeah. And it's only at that point they're like that they get the email going, "Oh, we're so sorry you left." But like, but like, the time they actually quit was like six months ago. You know. Yeah, you're way too late. They're yeah, you're, you're, yeah, they're they're way moved on. So like, at best, you can hope that they might remember why they quit. But even that isn't great. Like you know. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, one of the things I like about Slack is um, I'm a member of a bunch of different Slack rooms, you know, so I've got right. the yeah. one for work, and then I've got this other one, and this other one, this other one. And what's interesting to me is I just love observing the way people buy and the way people make decisions. It's fascinating to see people discuss, like, which, prod, which product should we buy, and when you're when you're looking at these things, you can see there's all sorts of factors <laughs> that come into a decision. Like there's mm -hmm. some products, uh, like if you were selling me an ebook, I can just take out my company credit card and buy it. I I don't need to talk to anybody yeah. else, uh, or maybe yeah. I do depending on what it is. But mm -hmm. if you if you're selling me intercom, I, I've got to talk to some other people about that. There's a bunch of yeah. other people that are in that discussion. Yeah. And so often our onboarding is just based on. <clears throat> I mean, maybe yeah. you might even say like, uh, it's so it's so self-centered in some ways because you say like, you know, hey, welcome, and then you say, okay, invite some team members, but why not provide me with something that says, you know, <laughs> you're probably going to have an uphill battle selling this to your team. Let's help you through that, uh, and you know, talking about it, like maybe we can get all of you guys on the phone, or maybe here's a guide that's really yeah. helped some other bosses. 
it it's hard to do that stuff, yeah. isn't it? Here's a, here's a video. Here's a video you should all watch together. Or like, I think um, it's really like it's the forgotten job of every single SaaS product is like, okay, you've sold me. Now your first job is help me sell them. <laughs> and like, I don't know why everyone is so blinded to it, but like, it's a it's a real thing because like, believe it or not, like <clears throat> if I sign up for your product, the twenty nine dollars like. I can eat that, but like spending my own social currency within a company, that's a big ask. I think people kind of forget that because they they design for like this like one-to-one -one relationship of we need to sell Justin, Justin's on board, great. Hey, why didn't you buy your team? And you're like, because that's a much harder thing to do, you know? Yeah. Like pr pricking around at your own desktop is actually pretty easy and setting up a fake project and adding some fake tasks and, you know, making a fake commit and writing a fake commit message. All very, very easy things to do. Costs you absolutely nothing. Free trial, here's my personal credit card, no problem. Going to like your boss or going to the rest of your team or ordering your entire team uh, to do something, uh, it's a much more of a commitment. And I think it's never acknowledged that that's a bigger commitment than the here's my credit card number, I'm going to cancel this in 29 and a half days. You know? Yeah. And, and so what are some of the ways at Intercom that you're helping to overcome that friction. You used to have to install a snippet with Intercom. We now have like loads of different ways you can import your users. You can connect to Stripe, and we'll pull in your users from Stripe. You can connect to Mailchimp, Mixpanel, Campaign Monitor, whatever. We also have an API. You can dump the money from there, or you can install the snippet in the footer, right? And each of those work for different use cases for different types of people. Um, so that said, uh, your question is like, you know, how have we addressed this? Well, one thing one thing I've learned is that like. Here's the like dopey, uh, the silly way to approach the task. The stupid thing to do is look and say, successful customers all have added at least three teammates. So let us force every new customer to add three teammates. And that will actually get you some success. So it's not 100% stupid. Uh, in fact, it's not stupid. It gets you some success. It's an incremental win in the greater scheme of things. But it's ignoring the job and ignoring the sort of uh, causation, and it's focusing purely on the correlation. So it's like, we just need to get everyone into this state. So you'll get a, a lot of like test at test.com invites and stuff like that, because people just need to get this fucking box ticked so they can move on. Yeah. A better way to think about it is, when does it make sense for them to invite their team? So is it that they want to share this view with a teammate, or is it that they want to assign this conversation to a teammate who's yet to sign up? Or is it that you want to forward a teammate a report? Or is it that you want to make sure that the Daily Mail gets sent to the teammate? They're all things that like people actually want to do. Because no one actually wants to add their teammates. That's like a hardware sort of like you know, metrics-oriented problem with Sprintly, for example. Right? That's your problem yeah. that you need me to have three and a half teammates before I'm considered successfully onboarded. Yeah. My problem is I'm looking at this kick-ass report and I need my company to see it. You know, yeah. and like you need to align these touch points so that like, you know, so that when I I do something as a byproduct of achieving something, not as a byproduct of completing your uh, your predisposed notions. Yeah. Uh, I know you you had Samuel Hillock on board before uh, and he was he made a similar point, like which is like, you know, onboarding is about the customer's definition of success, not your definition of metrics of a successful customer. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like Jason Fried at a point uh, a talk in Chicago, he said something quite interesting, which was like it's even worth considering the notion of these concepts like teammates or like people. Like teammates is something that Basecamp thinks it needs, but like why why do you even need an account at Basecamp to be able to use Basecamp? It's worth questioning that because you can do the whole thing by email. 
And why can't you complete tasks by email? Why can't you just write back completed or whatever? Like these are all real things. And next, next year you realize, shit, we've been chasing teammates all along, whereas it's actually not teammates we want. Teammates is actually a dumb proxy for valuable engagement with more people other than yourself. And maybe that's what we should be talking about, you know? Yeah. Uh, so like, there's, there's like lots of ways to come at this, but I, I think, um, I think like I, I divide the world in kind of like onboarding 1.0, which was like, you know, tooltip is like, check out this button, check out that button. If you click this, it drops down. And then onboarding 2.0 was like the LinkedIn fused, uh, like, you know, your profile 65 to tweet. Now it'll be 70% complete. That's onboarding 2.0. I think 3.0 is going to take a step back again and say, right, let's talk about customers and their success, and let's make sure customers achieve their success through doing things that they need to do. Yeah. Yeah, and even... Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the way, the reason I love thinking about this, and it is hard... Because it's it's easy to when you have a product, you're always just thinking about like your head's down. You're thinking about how do we get this thing to work? Like how do we get more users? How do we get more money? And what I like about all this talk about jobs to be done and onboarding and all these things is it's kind of forcing us outside of ourselves and focus forcing us to be more and more other centered, so more and more focused on other people and saying well, hold on, like let's really examine like. What does this person actually want? What does this person actually need? What is this person actually hiring your product to do as opposed to what you would like it to be? And you only need to like sit in an office for a while and just observe people and pretty soon, you know, you'll see like the head of engineering poke his head out of his cubicle and go, "Hey, Justin, what's this thing you just invited me to?" <laughs> you know? <laughs> like and you then you realize like these little things you put in your app like invite a team member, they've got huge consequences. Like now this the the head of engineering is saying, "Well, what is this stupid thing you just invited me to?" Like I don't want to look at this. You're interrupting my day. You're filling up my inbox. And all these things actually do matter. They're not just, yeah. you know, little bits that we send out. Totally. And um I like the the best way to think about that for me is like, you know, uh, if, if you're, all you're trying to do with these things is influence metrics that you're tracking yourself, such as like average teammates per person or whatever, uh, bear in mind you're possibly not creating any value in the world. You know, you're possibly just influencing metrics, like you're metric hacking or growth hacking, you might say. Um, and uh, like it's, you know, you're focusing on the measurement bypassing what it's actually a proxy for. Yeah. How, how do you track customer success at Intercom? Uh, it's pretty uh, base. I mean, like, it's funny how, uh, like, I used to give a talk where people would ask, like, you know, um, you, know you, you talk a lot about, like, finding out what the customer uh, needs to do. How do you do that? And I'm like, have a guess. And uh, they're like, well, I mean, uh, emergent metrics, uh, like, you know, uh, latent covariance theory by analyzing two statistical groups and looking for an adjacent matrix. And I'm like... <laughs> Not quite that, no. I didn't understand a single word there. We have a really interesting technique here at Intercom. We ask our customers what they're trying to achieve during their trial. You know, and, and surprising so, how often that works. But can they articulate oh. it? Because, because yeah, sometimes I mean, like they, when, you, yeah, yeah. when you're asking people, you know, what do you want to achieve, it, it's, it's something that's difficult. I guess it depends on how you're doing it. If you're just doing it yeah, in I mean, a form, yeah. Yeah, if you ask me, I guess it, this comes down to how you value your customers, right? So we don't ask every single person what are you trying to do, but we do ask them when they meet certain criteria, like if they look like they're going to be a useful, valuable customer. Uh, 
Um, by that I mean like they're not like a long-term free user or like they're not like you know they're not clearly like a student project you know in the University of Utah or something like you know yeah uh, like but if they're actually you know if like you know if they look like a credible uh, credible customer and you really want them to convert great thing to do is say hey I mean what is the purpose of a, of a, of a trial right the purpose of a trial from a from a user's point of view is I'm signing up for this like $99 a month Sprintly plan okay and I'm doing this trial because I'm trying to work out is it worth $99 a month and in my head, I have some definition of what is worth $99 a month. That definition is usually closely tied to a problem that I'm experiencing that I would definitely pay $99 a month to get rid of. Yeah. And, and if you ask me what that problem is, it could be something f fluffy and abstract, like I want to see if my developers can speed up. Right? I, I want to see if we can get faster shipping. Or yeah. I want greater clarity into my roadmap. Or I don't know what the hell anyone's working on, and, and I heard you guys can fix that. Yeah, uh, and like you'll you'll get some version of that, and now you realize well if in thirty days time he doesn't have greater clarity into what the hell everyone's working on or she doesn't have a faster development team or, or he doesn't have like a good understanding of the rate of bugs that they're producing per month or whatever then they're not going to see this ninety nine dollars a month value so they're going to quit they're probably going to quit way quicker than that for what it's worth they're probably going to quit in like day six, when uh, when they've played around enough and haven't seen anything, you're only going to mail them on day thirty one because you're not watching what they're actually doing you know yeah. Uh, but um, so like you, you try to find out what their definition of success is, and you're totally right. Like you won't get a clean definition of well, if I can have seven people on board plus I have you know two plus or minus three projects uh, like activated, and if I'm seeing increased engagement across all my you know that's not what they'll say. They'll give you some like sort of short glib. Uh, you know, I hear you guys are good for changing uh, for changing speed of our developers, or uh, you guys I like that roadmap view that you do. And you're like yeah. all right, cool. You know, you now have an ambition, and like what you'll see is like that. Depending on how you market Sprintly and depending on, on like, what the awareness of it is in the world, these things will start to converge on certain jobs. Right. Yeah. This is where we can, I guess, talk a little bit about jobs. But um, you know, it won't be the case that a thousand different people have a thousand different goals. Okay. Yeah. And if it is the case, you can usually abstract at a level and find a common similarity. For example, like I'm sure Basecamp is used to manage weddings and home redesigns and software projects and website designs. But like to some degree, it's like I want to get everyone on the same page, or I want to get everyone like looking at the same screens or whatever. Uh, and and similarly for Sprintly, like you know, it might be like, well, we need we've got this defunct product team that aren't doing anything good, and we want to get them fixed. So we want, you know, I'm trying to bring this in. But like you can abstract that too. I want to see an improvement. I want to be able to measure improved performance across the software team or whatever. Yeah. So you abstract to a certain level to a job where you're comfortable, right? Where yeah. like the job is definitely something you believe your product can do. Uh, yeah. And there might be more, and there might, in fact, there will be more than one job typically. Like if your product is in, in any way deep, it'll, have, it'll, have, it'll do more than one job for people. Uh, mm -hmm. You might have like one, two, three, four, five, whatever. Uh, and you'll, you'll send, you can start to like loosely book at these people. And you can sort of say, right, well, you know, uh, Jeanette from like, you know, whateverapp.com signed up and she is in the improved performance or she's in the roadmap uh, job. So is she going to, you know, get to see this roadmap. Well, what what does she need to do to see a roadmap? Well, she needs to add at least ten projects or ten people or whatever. And then you can start to have that dialogue and, and like you can actually frame your like your messaging schedule now much more precisely using her words back at her. Like things like, hey, I I bet you'd be interested in seeing this uh this roadmap overview. Reminder, here's a screenshot of it. Here's the best way to get there. Here's three things you should do. My name is Justin. Let me know if I can do anything to help you get there. Otherwise, I, ho I hope to see you there. You know, and like you'll be surprised how much more that effective is uh, versus it's day 10. 
no, you need to blah blah blah. You know. Um, so yeah. yeah. I, one one. I think we should get into some other examples because I love the examples. And so the last ten minutes here, um, one job to be done that I've observed over and over and again is, and this is going to be very specific, but you can generalize a little bit. I want to look impressive at a meeting. And so just this idea of, like if you sent me an email, just said, hey, if you're ever heading to a meeting, click here, print off this report, and you'll be able to show your team your roadmap for the next three months. That right there is worth, in my mind, is worth like thousands of dollars. Because <laughs> that's like my job. I, I want to look good in front of my peers. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I see over and over again. I'm surprised more people don't um, don't capitalize on that. This idea of people want to impress their bosses, people want to impress their peers. They want to look good at meetings. Totally. Like, the, the, basically, my spoiler there is that the job of every report or dashboard is to get someone promoted. Basically, that's like that's what the actual job is. And like, you get promoted by looking like somebody who has their shit together. And a good proxy having your shit together is having all the things you need to know at your fingertips. And, and like, what's interesting is you can like double click on that job and like, like so let's say, right, let's talk specifically about this, giving someone something to take to a meeting. Well, the data needs to be up to date, right? So you should also give them a button that pings everyone on a project and says, hey guys, I'm going to a meeting at three o'clock. Can you make sure you've got all your stuff up to date? And like, and that thing for what it's worth should also look good on a phone and it should be able to like, you know, airplay and all this other sort of stuff like that lets you command the meeting, right? Because like ideally, a piece of paper is great, but like, but what if you get to present? You know, that's even better. So why not have it out as a keynote slide, right? Because like then you can just drop it in and say, hey guys, I've got something here. Why not have it as an animation so you can click through? Like there's all these things you start to realize when you actually know what the job is. Because when you think the job is like analytics or reports or whatever, what you go is you go and build a lot of fucking analytics and reports and shit, but you actually miss the purpose, right? Like, so like I think uh, I think it's it's a real thing that like. You know, there is functional energy in a job which tells you like what people actually need to achieve, such as like show, you know, hours log per developer or whatever the hell it is, right? Yeah. Um, there's also emotional things like you know, if it looks ugly, you're not going to hand it out. Uh, have it look good enough such that I'm comfortable to share this in front of everyone else, whether that's shared as a printed page, or whether that's like broadcasted, uh, say like onto a screen. Like for example, this is a meeting room we're in here. That's a big screen on the wall, you know, would I be comfortable sharing your, your my, the Sprintly report on that so that when I have, like, people here, like my CEO and stuff like that, do I feel like when I put this up, people go, shit, that Des guy knows what he's talking about. We should give him more responsibility. Yeah. Like, these are the energies that people miss. And I think um, to that end, like, uh, one, one thing that Jobs really helps clarify is, uh, is like, features when you label them based on, like, internal. And you have, really have to be careful about how you, how you name these things uh, like when you're building parts of your product. When you na name them after like internal nicknames, like yeah, this is the reports feature, or this is the analytics feature, or this is like the whatever social feature, you actually forget what the hell you're trying to build, right? It could be like this is the get Rick promoted feature. Rick is our persona for you know whatever like a, or it could be like a, it could be like the you know make me cool feature, or like you know uh, give me confidence in my uptime feature, or whatever. But like that's actually what you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas you know, for some reason, we tend to categorize these things into like you know, discussion or report or whatever, which is a whole different thing. Um, so like that's, I think people miss out on those sort of energies, and like, there's a million and one examples of that. Uh, we talked about one on on, a, on our blog recently, the map. So like, Intercom can create a map of all your users, and like people use that map like hell. And we were like, what the hell are you trying to do with this map? Like, and 
you know, we're like, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, we took, went through all the obvious things because like, we were thinking this is a map. So we're thinking, oh, well, it can plot all your people across a geospatial region. We're like, yeah, that's not useful. Uh, what we realized, because like, if you scroll down a little on that post, like, we'll see, it's like the original map was kind of ugly, right? Uh, and like, it was ugly, but people still used it. And if you keep scrolling, what you'll see is people, where do people use it? Well, they used it at trade shows to try and impress potential VCs, or they used it to like boast on Twitter about like things that they'd, uh, that like, you know, look how our business has grown, where they used it in like uh, pitches to like, you know, at demo days to say, look how global our business is. And then when you realize, shit, this thing is not actually about cartography, right? This yeah. has nothing to do with like, you know, with geographical precision or, or like any of the typical things, like the equatorial lines aren't relevant here. You know, uh, like the fact <laughs> that this, this user is near the Tropic of, of Cancer is not interesting. So you forget about the map and you think, well, let's design something that is sexy and looks great to share and will make you look impressive and you will be comfortable sharing. And then let's make it really easy to share it. So let's anonymize it so that it doesn't show any business sensitive information. And let's make sure that people can, uh, you know, can tweet it and can embed it onto their company websites and all that sort of stuff. And lo and behold, like the uptake for our features being immense because like that's what people wanted to do with it. That's what they were doing. Ultimately, the realization for us is that we improved it along the lines that people were actually using it, not along the lines of the category it was in. So to map that back to your reporting example, you might think reports means like better date pickers and better like uh, you know let them alternate between a 3D pie chart and a 2D bar uh, 2D like whatever bar chart. <laughs> but that's actually not it. Like, what are people using it for? Well, if they're using it to put it into a keynote file, let them get it as a keynote deck. If they're using it to like show it to their boss, let them like in, uh, put their company logo and let them put their profile photo beside it so that you never look at that report without remembering that it was just and not delivered it. You know, like there's all these different things that we, when you actually realize that the, the true goals, that the, the improvements are much more obvious, but also like they tend to be met with like amazing waves of like, love and gratitude from the customers. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, uh, just in closing here, what's kind of the next thing for Intercom? I, it's been really fun to watch you guys grow. I can't believe you're at 90 people, actually. And clearly, I need to go back and look at the product again, because last time I looked around, it was an, uh, a little uh, snippet you installed, but now you've got all these other ways to get yourself going. Yeah. What's what's yeah. next for you? Like, what do you see? Um, are you still focused on the software kind of world, or are you focused on all sorts of businesses now? Uh, we're focused on internet businesses. That's uh, that's the best way I could describe it. So I say internet because I don't mean web and I don't mean mobile. I just mean internet. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, the value Intercom provides it's it's different. Like if you were releasing a tool where you just want to like you know if you're releasing a product that where frankly your attitude is if I could sell this once great but I never want to hear a single word from the customer. Mm -hmm. You know you're not in a position to to get a lot of use out of Intercom because you actually don't care about your customers. Uh, yeah. Most businesses, thankfully these days, care about the customers. Uh, so, like anyone who basically does any sort of business on the internet is is who we're designing and developing for. And in terms of what the future holds, it's going to be like we're going to go deeper on all the jobs that we do for people. Uh, and the jobs that we do are pretty well outlined on the homepage. So I don't want to actually I don't want to talk you through our our, our marketing website. You know, people can go and visit it. But like, we're, you know, it's pretty it's a pretty clear outline of the use cases of Intercom. And all that we're going to do is go deeper in all those. And like deeper looks like. You know, innovation in some areas, doing things that no one's done before, uh, like removing barriers, removing complexity, removing reasons why people can't adopt. Uh, um, and we'll, you know, in those areas, like it's more about uh, resolving issues than it is about, like necessarily about, you know, redefining people's imaginations. Uh, Sweet. Well, Des, it's it's good to finally talk to you in person. 
uh, like I said, I've it's been uh, I've been a big fan of your work uh, when you blog at blog.intercom.io. Uh, for everyone else out there, check out intercom at intercom.io, and you can check out Des. I think you're Des Trainer on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Des Trainer on Twitter. Beauty. Thanks again, Des. Cool. Thanks so much, Justin. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Cool. Take care. Bye. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. That's my interview with Des. You can follow him online on Twitter. I think I just mentioned that in the interview, didn't I? Des Trainer. You can follow me online, too, at the letter M, the letter I, Justin, M-I, Justin. You'll see a big bearded guy there. Also, I've been sending some great updates to my newsletter list. Uh, I'm going to be sending a financial update on how much money I made on my uh, my sale, uh, what do you call that, Black Friday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale. So if you're interested in seeing some real numbers, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter will get you there. If you have not left a review on iTunes, if you could do that right now, that would be amazing. Uh, here's one from Hikes from France. Justin is an awesome interviewer. He always asks specific spot-on questions to his guests about the hacks they use to succeed. Keep up the good work. Go to iTunes, search for product people, leave a four-star rating, and if you leave a comment in the rating, I might read it here on the show. So if you're able to do that, that'd be sweet. Thanks again. I will talk to you in a bit. I think I'm going to take a break over December here, but you should see new shows from me coming out on buildandlaunch.net in 2015. All right, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time. Talk to you soon. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.